guys. Welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And I must say, it is the spookiest scene in my room right now. There is this really eerie yellow glow coming into my room through the windows. And, you know, it's been like orange in some parts of California, like a reddish hue because of the fires and things like that. But this is the first day that I've noticed a change in the lighting uh, due to the fires and it's very very clearly a yellow hue so yeah it's very it's very interesting I was out for a run this morning and I even just found it challenging to breathe the air here and I'm you know I'm not gonna tell you exactly where I am of course but I am nowhere near the fires and yet I still feel you know reverberations from it or just reactions from it even here where I am in LA and it's just crazy I, I've been doing a lot of reading about it a lot of reading about the climate change elements and you know what's been really causing these fires uh, not only the gender reveal stuff like you know I don't know if you've heard of that but people doing like the gender reveals with the smoke bombs and things have been causing fires which I'm just beyond like I don't even know what to say about that considering fireworks are extremely illegal here like just any sort of smoke bomb things that can cause fire are extremely illegal and I just don't even know why people would risk it for that sort of thing like just go to the freaking doctor and get a piece of paper and cut open a cake or something and have it be pink or blue I don't know that's just me but some people have dm'd me asking if I have experienced any you know fallout from the wildfires or any sort of effects and the answer is no they've taken place far away from me where I am here in Los Angeles I'm not going to tell you exactly where I am I'm trying to preserve you know where I am and all because I was really bad at that in New York and people like full-on found my apartment so I'm trying to be careful this time around um, but anyway this was like the first day where I kind of noticed a clear effect here where I am which is so far from where the fires are happening and the fact that I'm even experiencing this weird color change and you know the breathing issues and things it's just it's madness to me you know and it really just points to how important it is to understand this and understand climate change and the implications of that yeah now that I'm living in California I'm making a point to educate myself on all things climate change and especially in terms of fires and how I can help prevent them and all of those things but I just wanted to say I couldn't just like not address the yellowness of my room right now. It's just crazy. Um, I wish you could see it. I feel like no photo would really like do it justice. It's just crazy. Anyway, so I have a lot to share with you guys today. As per usual, I have quite the lineup of stories and things, but I guess I should probably like fill you guys in on my life a little bit because I get so excited about like sharing other people's stories and talking about specific things that I kind of forget that a lot of you guys are coming here to get updates about my life. <laughs> so um, I guess I'll give you guys a little like update, right? I mean, I'm over a month in LA now so things are coming together I just recently ordered a couch for my room which I discussed I think in a previous episode how I'm like slowly but surely adding things to my room because I feel like in all my previous apartments I was very very quick to just get it done and threw in pieces that maybe didn't even match really that I was just like okay this will work you know this will do it's in my price range whatever but I feel kind of a different energy here in LA like I really want to take my time and make sure everything is not perfect but right and not rushed 
I think my overall just vibe here in LA is not rushing things, trusting the timing, doing me, you know, just like not rushing everything. And so I found the perfect couch. A lot of you guys on Instagram have been very invested in my journey to finding the perfect piece for this one wall. I have this really large space on a wall next to my dresser that could be used for so many different configurations of things. And so a lot of you guys had opinions on what I should put there and I finally settled on a couch. I just thought it made sense for the space and it's a love seat so it's not like a massive couch. It's like I think a, a cross between like a love seat and just like a small couch um, and it's perfect. I measured it to make sure it's perfect for the space, all those things and yeah, I think my room's gonna be the new like post-game spot, you know, when we go back to bars and things and people will come here and hang out and like sit in my room hopefully or like when I'm getting ready, I don't know. I think I'm gonna add also a bench to the end of my bed so there's like additional seating there. I just have a huge room and I don't know what to do. I want to keep like most of it kind of bare and minimalist, but I'm also just like not a minimalist by nature. Like I try to be, I try to watch Maggie McDonald's vlogs and like hear about her minimalist lifestyle, but I am just like a maximal maximalist. I don't know. I love like knickknacks and and things everywhere so I'm trying to uh, keep things tidy and keep things clean but also stay true to myself and have you know that all the things going on and whatnot so Anyway, I got this couch for the wall. It's from Cardiel. Um, It's a brand that I recently, I think I saw an Instagram ad for them or something. I'd never heard of them before, but then I realized that my friend Sarah, Sarah Bell Elizabeth, you guys know her on Instagram and YouTube, she got her couch from there. And so I was like, oh, perfect. It's a trustworthy brand. And so I ordered a couch from there and it took me so long to decide on it because it is a little bit pricey and I really need to like let things marinate and think on it before I make expensive you know decisions like that so after a week of having the tab like for the website literally with it in my cart like on my browser for literally a solid week like probably a full seven days I pulled the trigger I was like you know what There's that quote out there that I constantly say, if you can't go a day without thinking about something, you probably should go for it. And so I went for it. I got this couch and I really hope it lives up to my expectations because they're high. But basically it's this little love seat. It's like a 60, I think 60 inches um, in length and it's curved. So it's like has rounded edges and it's that I don't know how to say this. It's like buckle, buckle, B-O-U-C-L-E, that fabric. It's like uh, really, it's like rough, but it's a white, I'm so bad at describing things like this, like feelings, textures. It's a textured fabric. It's super trendy right now. My friend Brooke has a chair from CB2, I believe, that is the same fabric. It's just like one of those things that is taking the internet by storm and I'm here for it. I love it. So yeah, I will share a picture on Instagram when it comes and looks beautiful in my space. I haven't told the Instagram people yet. So this is like the first debut of what I chose because I was in between this or like a chair bookshelf situation. So you heard it here first. It's going to be a couch. I'm treating this like it's a pregnancy reveal or something like, yeah, you heard it here first. It's literally a couch. Anyway, I get very excited about uh, inanimate objects these days, especially when there's not a lot going on in my social life. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's change gears and get into more pressing topics. So first order of business, we're going to talk about control. 
And this is one of my favorite things to talk about because (laughs) I love control and I do so many things to like fake control in my life because I'm so obsessed with having it. And in my recent life, in the past few months of, you know, being out here in California with roommates after living alone for so long and, you know, even before that when I was living at home with my parents for a few months after not doing that for years, a lot of the control that I've been so obsessed with having for much of my life and, you know, my control freak tendencies have kind of, you know, evaporated a little bit because I've been forced to kind of get good with the fact that I'm not going to have a lot of control over my life right now and to kind of relish in the 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 now and really enjoy not knowing and so I want to talk about that today I have a story to share regarding that um, and then also okay this is probably my favorite part of today's episode I'll be sharing the story of Josephine Baker with you guys today a French American dancer entertainer spy activist and the first black woman to star in a major motion picture she is a classic case of a woman that refuses to be silenced that really fought for her art and I'm just really excited to share her story today she's someone that I've been inspired by for a long time, but I never really got to the root of her story and really got all the details. And so I finally did. And today we're going to talk about her. So yeah, we're going to do that in the latter part of the episode as I typically do. And we're going to start out by talking about some uh, control or lack thereof. I definitely crave control in my life. I think a lot of us would say the same, that it is comforting to know that we, you know, have control over our life and we know what's happening next and all of those sorts of things and we have a routine all of those comforting things whereas it isn't exactly realistic especially in the current world we're living in and so I am trying to get comfortable with the idea of not really knowing what's happening next and I try to let that Act, empower me rather than scare me but it's hard I crave control and so I have this story that I want to share with you guys today from my favorite book you guys know I've mentioned this before I consistently bring it up you guys don't even need to buy it because I'm just like going to read every story from it on the podcast because I just find that it inspires me so much it's called creative blindness and how to cure it by Dave Trott and I read you guys a few stories from this right before my road trip um, and I think a lot of you guys were really inspired by it as well so I figured I would unearth it and read another one today so this one has to do with control and placebo advertising actually so if you're in media or you like media you know advertising things like that this will definitely inspire you even more so but I think honestly this this story could really apply to many many things so let's go ahead and read it and to set the stage here He is a European author, so things are a little different here in the U.S., but it's all about this, you know, intersection and crossing the street uh, across a crosswalk and, you know, seeing the walk sign versus not seeing the walk sign. You know, like the, the sign that lights up, it's either a person walking or various things in various different places, but that is what it's surrounding. And, you know, it says a certain thing when you're supposed to walk, and then there's like a hand usually when you're not supposed to walk, so... That is what he's talking about when he says the little man, which we're going to get into. Okay, so it says, When I'm standing at a busy junction and the little man is red, I press a button and a sign lights up saying wait, so I wait. And eventually the little man changes to green and I cross the street. 
I press the button even though I suspect it doesn't do anything. I can't believe they would interrupt the flow of traffic for a single pedestrian, but I press the button and wait anyway. I do it because sometimes I've been at that crossing when there hasn't been much traffic, and I've pressed the button and the lights change straight away. Consequently, even though I suspect the button doesn't do anything, I'm not so sure. So I go along with it, I press it, and I do what it says. I've just found out this is what's known as a placebo button. In central London and other towns, it doesn't do anything between 7 a.m. and midnight. All it does is light up a sign saying wait. During the hours of busiest traffic, the button is just a placebo. But during the hours of less traffic, midnight to 7, the button switches to manual and it does change the lights. This is why people like me find it does work sometimes. The New York Times reports that of 3,250 pedestrian buttons at traffic signals, 2,500 were deactivated in 2004. They're left in place because pedestrians still feel compelled to press them. This is what computer scientist Eaton Adar calls benevolent deception. He and two Microsoft researchers wrote a paper on it. Ellen Langar, a professor at Harvard, refers to it as the illusion of control. She first noticed it during a card game of five-card draw. She dealt the cards, but out of order, and the players were outraged, each believing that the other player had gotten their cards, and this had affected their chances, even though they had no way of knowing what the cards were. She then studied the different ways people threw dice, believing they could affect the numbers that came up. She even studied the way people pulled levers on slot machines, believing they could affect random rotation of the drums on the machine. It's the belief that doing something is better than doing nothing. So having chosen to press the button at a traffic intersection, we are more likely to obey the instruction to wait. We need to believe the placebo. And as we know from medicine, the belief in a placebo is often powerful enough to affect the perceived result often without proof from any exterior evidence. It's exactly the same way with advertising and marketing. The need to believe in a placebo overrides a need to look for proof. The need to believe in something becomes a dependence. So we have the need to believe in big data, in AI, in VR, in content marketing, in storytelling, whatever the latest trend is, but our belief in the placebo is so fragile Any doubt must be mocked and treated as hearsay. This is normal human behavior. This is what religion depends upon. We believe in something simply because we want it to be true, simply because it gives us a reassuring feeling of control. In the outside world, this superstition costs nothing and does no harm. But in the world of advertising and marketing, this superstition kills creative thinking and costs many millions of dollars. Very interesting. He definitely has a an advertising and marketing spin on the book, of course, but I think a lot of the things said here really apply to the current world and how we are just so desperate to believe because we want some semblance of control over our lives. And so that is why We trust even placebos, things that aren't even real, you know, like placebo drugs people take in drug trials and sorts of things like that. It's like, you know, we want to feel control and we want to believe. It's a huge reason why, you know, fake news has become such a thing, why clickbait on YouTube has become such a thing. You want to something to be real you want to believe things because it does give you a semblance of control and it eliminates mystery while there still is a lot of mystery and a lot of times you don't get what you're thinking you're gonna get when you click on a video and whatever but it's just so interesting and so relevant because I feel that I mean of course I'm sure this goes back to just instinctual behavior of humans wanting to have control over your life and feeling 
an anxiety sort of feeling when you don't. And I I tend to have this feeling creep in and I've really never been able to pinpoint exactly what to call this exactly, but it's it's really a kind of wave of frustration where I just get so just fed up with, you know, not having control. Like even the smallest of things when, you know, things are planned and I don't know, you know, the plan and my friends are like, oh yeah, yeah, you're going here. Like so-and-so is going to be, I'm like, what? Like, I didn't hear about this. Like, you know, I need to know things. And then I get momentarily very mad at my friends for deciding the plan without, you know, telling me about it. And then I realize how absolutely ridiculous I'm being. And then I feel stupid for, you know, being you know, frustrated over not having control over something. Even like when I moved here to LA and I had come in to my friends, my roommates making some decorating choices without me, I was like perplexed over it. And I think it does go back to just my need for perfection, which I've definitely been working on. You guys know I've talked about this for so long on the podcast, just my need for perfection and how I'm fighting it and why my life doesn't always need to be aesthetically pleasing and all the things that I've been so obsessed over for so long. But yeah, I suppose that's kind of human of me. You know, my humanity is showing, darn it. (laughs) So yeah, but I, I going back to what I was reading, I find it so interesting that the whole placebo button concept, I think that applies to so many different things. You know, we think that the way that we're doing something or just the fact that we're doing it is better than not doing anything at all. And it does give us some semblance of control. Like for me, I feel a very severe lack of control in my dating life often because I find that it's because it involves someone else, just the nature of it involving someone else makes me feel a severe lack of control. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know if someone's into me. It's just like so many unanswered questions and it's not as easy tied with a bow as, you know, my own thoughts and my own feelings. So I find a lot of, uh, you know, the, the lack of control there. And I find that even though, I feel this way. I'm still, you know, on the apps going on dates because doing something is better than doing nothing. And I still feel some semblance of control if I'm the one actively going on dates and using Hinge and swiping and all that. And I feel the odds of me just like meeting someone out in the wild, you know, are very slim. And maybe I don't need to think like that. Maybe, you know, me being on the apps and going on these premeditated dates of people that I'm swiping on their pictures, like maybe that is me just feeding into my need for control. I don't know. Super interesting. Let me know what you guys think of this. And once again, the book that I read that from is called Creative Blindness and How to Cure It by Dave Trott. I've mentioned him so many times. I feel like I got to meet this guy because I love his stories and how he compiles them and just everything about it but definitely support the author he is great okay carrying on actually first before we get into the story of josephine baker i want to introduce a sponsor for today's episode this episode of thick and thin is sponsored by Gladskin. And let me tell you a little bit about them. So I personally don't know about you guys, but I love good news in my life. And earlier this year, I made a YouTube video where I opened up about my biggest insecurities. It was super difficult for me to film, but I felt like it would really help so many people. And it really did. And the video was actually all about my struggles with eczema, which has bugged me for years. I've had the most horrendous, just painful eczema on my hands, on my arms, on my face, under my eyes, just really 
insecurity in various parts of my body and it's been a massive insecurity of mine. I've had to cover up my body with clothing and just different accessories, just being so fearful that people would see my eczema and not to mention it was super uncomfortable. And I discovered Gladskin Eczema Cream about like six months ago I think now and it's really changed my life. Gladskin scientists actually found that nearly all people with eczema have a bacterial imbalance in their skin meaning their skin's microbiome is just out of whack and Gladskin eczema cream with microbalance is so much more than just another moisturizer on the shelf. It works by rebalancing your skin's microbiome and providing relief from that itchy redness situation that I just I know so well because I've experienced it my whole life with eczema and I noticed a huge transformation in my skin after only two days of using it. It's just amazing how quickly and efficiently it works. Um, it's a really unique product and I've noticed so much change in my skin. I use it twice a day or more than that sometimes and it's just really unique. It's um, already been a proven solution for eczema relief in Europe for five years and it just became available in the U.S. this year. Wish I knew about it sooner. It's different from steroids and traditional over-the-counter moisturizers because they don't rebalance the skin's microbiome. What's worse, they actually contain preservatives, which kills all the bacteria, even the good bacteria that's needed for healthy skin. So I like to say that Glad Skin works smarter, not harder, making it safe for everyone, even little babies as young as three months old. You just apply it twice a day, daily, even on sensitive areas like eyelids. I get it super bad right underneath my eyes and it's a really sensitive area and I don't find that it really irritates my skin at all. It doesn't at all. I have very sensitive skin. And even when your skin feels fine or you have no flare-ups, it's good just to use as a moisturizer. Um, it can be used proactively to keep eczema under control and you can't overuse it. That's not a thing. So it's free of steroids, fragrances, preservatives, and drying alcohols. It's been clinically proven to reduce eczema itch and redness. And there are no drug side effects. It's been clinically tested. It's hypoallergenic, dermatologist recommended, and accepted by the National Eczema Association. And you can get it shipped right to your door at gladskin.com and it's backed by the Gladness Guarantee. You can try it risk-free for 60 days. Love it or your money back. If you guys suffer from eczema or know someone that does, definitely try out Gladskin. I have been such a proponent of it for so long because I believe that it truly does work and I use it myself twice a day. So be sure to check it out, get some for yourself and use my code Katie 10 that's K-A-T-Y 10 for 10% off any $35 plus Gladskin purchase and that includes standard free shipping. So use my code K-A-T-Y 10 on gladskin.com for 10% off. All right, so I'm back. I just ate a salad while you guys were listening to that commercial. So welcome back. We are going to get into the story of Josephine Baker, who, like I said in the beginning, was an American-born French dancer, entertainer, spy, activist, and the first black woman to star in a major motion picture. She went from a hungry kid wearing rags in St. Louis to a dazzling stage performer and symbol of the 1920s jazz age. And her words about discrimination and racism have left a huge mark on our world. And one of her famous quotes has really done its rounds on the internet recently, so I thought I would read that to kick things off. So it says, All my life I have maintained that the people of the world can learn to live together in peace if they are not brought up in prejudice. 
Okay, let's get into her story. We'll start from the beginning. Frida Josephine McDonald was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1906, and she would go by her first name Frida for the early parts of her life, but would soon drop it in favor of her middle name, Josephine. She preferred Josephine, but she doesn't go by Josephine fully legally until around age 15. Um, But to give a bit more background of the time period prior, her mother Carrie was adopted in 1886 by Richard and Elvira McDonald both of whom were former slaves. And so growing up, Frida lived in a racially mixed, low-income neighborhood on the wrong side of the tracks, as some could say. She never knew her father, supposedly, and her mother remarried a kind but perpetually jobless man. And both of them really struggled to find steady work, which forced Frida, despite her young age at like seven or eight years old, to take odd jobs to survive. And at the age of eight, when Frida worked as a live-in maid for white families in St. Louis, one of the women abused used her burning Josephine's hands when she put too much soap in the laundry. And by the age of 12, she had dropped out of school. If she was unable to find work, uh, you know, working as a housemaid or the various things that she did, she would often dance in the streets to earn money for food. She was so poorly dressed and often really hungry, and so she used her street smarts to survive. And at the age of 13, she got married for the first time. She met her first husband while she was waitressing at this place called Old Chauffeur's Club. She met this guy named Willie Wells and married him shortly thereafter. Their marriage lasted less than a year. I can't imagine having the maturity at 13 years old to enter a marriage like I just can't believe that she I I don't know of course things were different back then but wow anyway so eventually her self-taught street dancing routine caught the attention of an African-American theater troupe called the Jones Family Band and in her early teens Josephine ran off with the theater troupe and began to perform with the group on the road This was when she got married for the second time at just 15 years old. She took her husband Willie's last name, Willie Baker, and dropped her first name Frida, so she became Josephine Baker as we know her today. And it was around this time that Josephine was super persistent, badgering show managers in St. Louis for bookings in different shows, for performances and such, and soon after that, after getting some minor roles, her persistence took her even further to New York City. And she was there during the Harlem Renaissance, which, as the name suggests, was considered a golden age in black culture, championing music, dance, literature, and art in Harlem. And the Harlem Renaissance was born from the Great Migration, which was when hundreds of thousands of black men and women and children left the South in favor of cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, Detroit, Philadelphia, and New York. And so in New York, Josephine performed as the last dancer on the end of a chorus line, which had a name. It was apparently called the pony which basically consisted of pretending that she wasn't able to remember the dance until the encore at the end of the number and then she would perform the dance not only correctly but with additional complexity and just totally wow the audience and because of this and other things she started earning herself a name in New York City and she was billed at the time as quote the highest paid chorus girl in vaudeville And vaudeville, I think I'm saying that right, vaudeville, being a comedy-based theater genre that was a hybrid of specialty acts. So like burlesque, song, dance, things like that, but kind of rooted in comedy. 
And she's quoted as saying, though, no, I didn't get my first break on Broadway. I was only in the chorus, and she named a couple of shows. I became famous first in France in the 20s. I just couldn't stand America, and I was one of the first colored Americans to move to Paris. She landed some gigs here and there and, you know, celebrated success in America, but it wasn't until she moved to Paris where she really exploded. Her stardom exploded. She fell in love with the place. She adored France, and that would lead to her even becoming a citizen later on in our story. But anyway, so she landed a bunch of performances in Paris due to some specific performances she had in America, some involving blackface, which is pretty problematic as we know. But regardless, she got herself to Paris, and at 19 years old, she sailed over there for a new adventure, and in Paris, she became an instant success for her erotic dancing and for appearing basically nude on stage with strategically placed costume elements, and a man named Abatino pitched himself to manage Josephine when she was out there, and soon he would transform her onstage persona and help improve her singing voice. So not only was she a dancer, but she was also a singer, actress, everything. And the two would eventually become romantically involved, but they couldn't legally marry because Josephine was still legally bound to her ex-husband, Willie Baker, and she kept his last name basically for her whole stage life. But one of her most notable stage performances and something that I really encourage you guys to Google a photo of while you're listening to this or after because it's incredible. So this was when she performed the Danse Sauvage, wearing a costume consisting of a skirt made of a string of artificial bananas and a beaded necklace. That's it. So just this like very crazy outfit of bananas and a beaded necklace covering her chest. And in some shows, she was actually joined on stage by her pet cheetah named Chiquita, who wore a diamond collar. And the cheetah frequently ran off of the stage and into the orchestra pit, terrifying the musicians, which added an extra element of comedy to her routine, which I just find so crazy. I want to watch a video of this. And so after a slew of successful shows out in France, Baker was soon named the most successful American entertainer working in France. So taking a quick break in our story about Josephine to introduce a sponsor. This episode of Thick and Thin is sponsored by Pros. And you guys know I love Pros. I have their products in my shower as we speak. Just use them prior to recording this episode. I showered with them. Incredible products. But if you guys don't know, Pros creates customized hair care products for people, not hair types. That's their whole operation. You'll never have to compromise on healthy hair goals with Pros because every product's formula is made especially with you in mind. Their freshly made to order products are designed to transform with you through seasonal and lifestyle changes. And so they create custom shampoo and conditioners based on your personal hair analysis and their algorithm. And their online consultation dives into every factor that affects your personal hair health. There's very you know interesting questions on their quiz that I've never seen another brand do before where they ask about you know air pollution in your area and how much sun you're getting and just really every factor that goes into your hair health and with over 50 billion formula combinations the result is a unique blend of ingredients that caters to your every strand and follicle and pro stands by clean and responsible beauty as well every formula is sustainably sourced and cruelty free which i really admire and they can accommodate virtually every preference including vegan gluten-free and more and they're super evolutionary their customization process goes beyond the initial consultation with every single order they're optimizing formulas based on lifestyle and seasonal changes in your area and every bottle is made to order not to 
mention, the bottles are so cute. They have your name on them. They're aesthetically pleasing. They look nice in the shower, which is important to me. So I feel like I must note that they look amazing. And I really have seen a nice change in my hair. I find that my hair has gotten shinier over time using their products. So to take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today, just go to pros.com slash Katie. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash K-A-T-Y for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. And I just love this success story so far. We're not even finished yet, but just the fact that she was running around hungry in rags in St. Louis and went from that to being a dazzling performer in Paris where everyone knew her and, you know, she was just lighting up the stage. It's just really incredible that she was able to get herself there with her determination and her her art. So anyway, let's continue with the story. So Josephine crossed paths with a lot of famous people, one being Ernest Hemingway, who noted that she was, quote, the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. And he supposedly spent hours chatting with her in Parisian bars. Picasso drew paintings of her. A few of his paintings are based on her. And in 1929, she became the first African-American star to visit Yugoslavia while on tour in Central Europe. However, some of her shows on her European tour were canceled due to opposition from locals and, quote, the morality police due to the fact that she was a black woman. And despite her popularity in France, she never attained the equivalent reputation in America. A lot of people called her controversial and didn't like her. Time magazine referred to her as, quote, N-word wench whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris, while some other critics said her voice was too thin and dwarf-like to fill the theaters that she performed in. And this devastated Josephine. She returned to France heartbroken and angry with her home country. And this propelled Josephine to revoke her American citizenship and become a legal citizen of France. And she did this through marriage. So upon coming back to France in 19... 1937, she married a French industrialist, Jean Lyon, and became a French citizen. And what happens next adds a new role to Josephine's resume, spy. When Adolf Hitler and the German army invaded France during World War II, Josephine joined the fight against the Nazis. She helped French military officials by passing on secrets that she heard while performing in front of the enemy. And she frequented star-studded gatherings at embassies and ministries and just did what she did best, charming people while gathering information that could help the French. And her fame helped her rub shoulders with those in the know, and she reported back what she heard from these people to French officials. And she was able to do so so effortlessly and gather information without any suspicion because she was famous. And she transported the confidential information by writing with invisible ink on music sheets, and she would also pin notes with the information she gathered inside of her underwear. And after many, many years of performing in Paris in 1951, she returned to the U.S. She was invited for a nightclub gig in Miami and was offered a large sum to perform for a segregated audience, meaning they were separated between the different races. And she refused to perform unless the audience was desegregated. And after winning a very public battle over this, she followed through with a sold-out run at the club with a national tour. But not everyone was very pleased about this. After this incident, she began receiving threatening phone calls from people claiming to be from the KKK, but she said publicly that she was not afraid of them. 
So a few falling outs in the industry happened, you know, due to clashes over segregation and other issues that she experienced, and it led to Josephine once again returning to France. I want to tell you about a few of these incidents. The first one that I'll share, you might have even heard of before, it's a pretty notable story. In 1951, she made charges of racism against a place called Stork Club in Manhattan because she'd been refused service due to her race. And at the time that she was dining there, another actress, Grace Kelly, you might have heard of her, was also at the club. As a legend has it, Grace apparently stormed over to the table, you know, grabbed her by the arm and said, we're going, we're leaving, took everyone with her, and they left the club, vowing never to return again. Apparently, she did return like years later, but supposedly the two of them remained great friends. And when Josephine was near bankruptcy later in her life, Grace Kelly offered her a villa and financial help. And it didn't stop there. She was actually refused at 36 different hotels in New York because of racial discrimination when she went with her husband, Joe, in the 50s. So a lot of things were happening where she was just, you know, treated poorly despite her fame due to her race. And so she became extremely involved with the NAACP and rallied for justice for wrongfully convicted black men and women, among other things. She was super close with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which we'll get to eventually. But she was super controversial and some black people even began to shun her during this time thinking that she had too much of a racy past and loud reputation to help the movement. And so regardless, in 1963, she spoke at the March on Washington at Martin Luther King's side and she was the only official female speaker at the march, apparently. She delivered a powerful speech and introduced two of her fellow activists, Rosa Parks and Daisy Bates. Not everyone involved in the march wanted her there. And in her powerful speech, one of the most notable things that Josephine said was, quote, you know, friends, that I don't lie to you when I tell you I've walked into palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more, but I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee, and that made me mad. And when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth and then look out, because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. So despite what people would say about her and how she was a loud woman, a racy woman at that, She still delivered a hell of a speech, and I think that that sentiment alone really did spark some change. And after Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated, as we know, his widow actually approached Josephine in the Netherlands to ask if she would take his place as the leader of the civil rights movement. And after many, many days of thinking it over, mulling it over, Josephine declined, saying her children were, quote, too young to lose their mother. And so I do want to talk a little bit more about her children because there's an interesting story there. So after suffering at least one miscarriage and during her civil rights work, she began adopting children. So Josephine and her fourth husband, Joe, formed a family that she often referred to as the Rainbow Tribe. And she wanted to prove that children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers. She was probably very inspired by the civil rights movement and just all of the work that she was doing there to just unite a lot of different people in the form of her children. So she was mother to two girls and 10 boys, making her tribe quite large. And for some time, she had this chateau in France and housed 12 of her children, well, all 12 of her children, her husband, Joe, and an enormous staff 
and they all just lived together in France. And this would later inspire people like Angelina Jolie. She's actually been quoted as saying she was inspired by Josephine to adopt all the children she's adopted. And back to her story, Josephine continued performing through the 60s and 70s, even as she was getting older, her health was deteriorating. She started kind of forgetting things here and there, but she was still on the stage and demand for seating at her performances was so high that fold out chairs had to be added to the theaters to accommodate. People were obsessed with her still, even as she was aging. And so on opening night of a star-studded show in 1975, she performed for a full house, including celebrities like Sophia Loren, Mick Jagger, and Diana Ross. And after a glorious performance, probably one of her best, four days later, she was found lying peacefully in her bed, surrounded by newspapers with glowing reviews of her last performance. She was in a coma after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage and didn't recover, but I believe that she was probably pretty happy with her life, feeling rather content with her last performance, and the legacy she left behind will never be forgotten. Josephine Baker helped fuel movements on and off the stage, refusing to quiet herself and her, quote, big mouth, and her story inspires me so much. I hope this helps inspire you as well and, you know, helps you keep your head up even when you're knocked down and reminds you to always use your voice. I think her story is incredible. I'll have all the sources I used for this information in the show notes of this episode. If you want to read more, I encourage you to look up photos of her, especially in the banana costume. Like that one is just, I mean, she's so beautiful and you can just tell by looking at photos of her, what her whole vibe was, what she was like as a person. And I so desperately want to meet her. Like I want her to be one of those people, you know, living or dead, sitting at your dinner table sort of thing. Like that question people ask, like she seems like the coolest person ever. So that's a little bit about Josephine, but I want to leave you with a few more quotes, some things that she said. She had a bunch of amazing quotes that have been circulating, but I just want to read a few of them to you guys before I let you go. So the first one I want to read is very, it's just quirky. It's funny. It makes me really confirm in my mind that I want her at my fictional dinner table. It says, quote, beautiful question mark. It's all a question of luck. I was born with good legs. As for the rest, beautiful? No. Amusing? Yes. You could just tell she was such a quick-witted lady and I just want to know her. She also said, quote, I wasn't really naked. I simply didn't have any clothes on which probably refers to some of her more exotic, erotic performances. When I was a child and they burned me out of my home, I was frightened and I ran away. Eventually, I ran far away. It was to a place called France. Many of you have been there and many have not. But I must tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in that country, I never feared. It was like a fairyland place. I like Frenchmen very much because even when they insult you, they do it so nicely. Americans, the eyes of the world are upon you. How can you expect the world to believe in you and respect your preaching of democracy when you treat your colored brothers as you do? All men can live together if they wish to. Let us stop saying white Americans and colored Americans. Let us try once and for all saying Americans. Let human beings be equal on earth as in heaven. She has had so many great quotes. Again, as you're looking up images and videos and more information about her, definitely look up some more quotes. She has so many out there. Just wanted to read a few and leave you guys with this story today that ultimately hopefully will inspire you and just give you an extra person that you uh, have in your repertoire of people you want to invite to dinner in that question people always ask. Um, So yeah, 
that is it for today's episode, all about control and Josephine Baker, control freaks, big mouths, those sorts of things. And I hope you guys enjoyed, and I will talk to you all in next week's episode. Bye. Mm-hmm.